Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today is a very special guest, Neil Jenkins, who is the Chief Analytic Officer at the Cyber Threat Alliance. The CTA is a really interesting initiative that brings together many of the biggest vendors in the cybersecurity industry to work together to better protect their customers. So welcome, Neil, and thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Great. Um, I guess the first thing we should talk about is the CTA itself. Um, Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about uh, what it is and, and what it does? Sure. So the Cyber Threat Alliance is a cooperative group of cybersecurity companies that have come together to share information and collaborate to protect their customers, uh, disrupt malicious cyber actors, and elevate the overall level of uh, cybersecurity in the ecosystem. Um, So we bring that cybersecurity industry together to build relationships and work together every day in steady state so we can be prepared to work together in larger ecosystem-wide emergencies and incident response. Uh, we were established as a nonprofit organization in 2017 uh, with the backing of our founding members, including Semantic, McAfee, Palo Alto Network, Cisco, Fortinet, and Checkpoint. And our founders at the time recognized that despite all of the capabilities that they have, uh, they really can't see everything that's happening in cyberspace. They don't have every possible customer. They may not be in every possible country. Um, so they decided to stop competing on who has the most threat intelligence decided to share threat intelligence and then compete on who can use that information the best in their security products. And so this allows us to help improve global cybersecurity from a common information baseline. Uh, We've grown over the last two years to include 23 companies, and uh, those companies are global and diverse. Our members provide protections and services to entities and individuals all over the world across all types of business and critical infrastructure sectors and governments. And we share high quality data across a wide range of devices from endpoints to network devices, to Internet of Things to industrial control systems. So we've really expanded from just from both the information technology space also to the operational technology space. OK, and I guess, um, you know, uh, one of the things that um, vendors may, may think about when they uh, start an initiative like this is uh, what's the upside for me um, sharing my information with uh, my competitors? Um, what's the feedback from vendors been like so far over the past two years? Um, what, 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 what have they gotten from membership of the CTA? Yeah, so um, we've, we've really gotten a lot of good feedback and stuff from the uh, members of the Cyber, of the, uh, Cyber Threat Alliance. Uh, Our members benefit from a lot of our joint efforts, such as early sharing of indicators and threat intelligence and our joint analytic products. Uh, We're often able to take coordinated actions to improve the protections of our customers and disrupt malicious actors, uh, making it harder for them to adjust and reconstitute their activities. Um, So we do a lot of that sharing of high quality vetted information on a daily basis. Um, members are able to adjust their protections quickly, add new ones where necessary, and deploy those out to their customers um, in within minutes in a lot of cases. Um, we're also able to, to work together, to act together and mitigate threats before they get out of hand. Um, and this ability to work in steady state, we can then collaborate on big and new incidents that pop up, things like WannaCry and NotPetya. So, for example, in both of those cases, CTA members were able to come together in the early stages of the incident, share information and analysis about what they were seeing in real time and adjust accordingly. Um, and WannaCry in particular, there was a lot of early reporting about potential email vector with that threat. 
However, when CTA members came together to start talking about it, they realized that no one could find evidence of email as a vector. And so if these companies aren't seeing it with you know, their global visibility, then you know, there's a high probability that there was no email vector. And so we're able to move on and spend analytic cycles looking for other problems with the thread. Uh, it was really powerful and really saved um, a lot of time uh, for those for, for our members. Um, so essentially what we found is that the automated information sharing that we're doing is really good for known threats, for things like commodity malware and crimeware, that kind of stuff. Uh, but when we see something new and unexpected, like a WannaCry, it's really powerful to be able to bring these members together, these people together, to start combining the automation with human ingenuity and, and analysis and collaborate uh, in real time. And so the best part for, for them is that ability to collaborate, but that then goes down to their customers, right? They're able to benefit from all of this without even really knowing it. If a customer is using a security product of a CTA member, they're benefiting from the intelligence of all the CTA members. They don't have to worry about whether Symantec knows more than McAfee. They just have to know which product that best fits for their particular needs. Yeah, and I mean, it's quite powerful as well because uh, everybody has a different customer base. So we're all saying different things and everybody has a kind of a different area of expertise. So they, there's a lot there's a lot of complementary uh, offerings there. Um, in terms like it sounds like things are going really well at the moment. Um, how hard has it been to get to this point? Did members need a lot of encouragement to start sharing information with each other or were people kind of quite open minded from the start? <laughs> well, I think, you know, sharing information among these companies would be just as hard as you would imagine it to yeah. be. Um, and I'll, you know, we spent, uh, from my time in government, from some of the other folks on the CTA staff who worked in the U S government, you know, we spent, you know, 15, 20 years talking about doing information or talking about information sharing, but now we've actually started doing information sharing. And now we realize why it took so long, right? It's not easy. It's pretty hard. Uh, you've got to have the mechanics in place. You've got to have the technology in place. You've got to have the legal arrangements and agreements in place. You have to have the culture in place, right? Which turns out to be a very important part of it. Um, and but but now we've been able to at least prove this as a concept and work through it. And frankly, we are realistic. We know there's information that members have that they can't share immediately. It might be sensitive customer information. It might be incident response information that's covered by non-disclosure agreements with the victim. Um, our members may be working with government agencies that aren't allowing any kind of sharing of information yet. So we don't expect members to share everything they have, but we hope that they share as much as they're able to. Um, and then when we identify common barriers to sharing, we look at ways to potentially lower or get rid of those barriers. Um, and we also have a, a very robust ability and, and um, ability to have our information or our members ask each other for information and intelligence for when they need things. Um, but just asking sometimes for specific things is enough to, to get something out of a logjam. Uh, but again, the, the goal is to share as much as possible, create that common baseline, and then compete based on how that intelligence is used to protect customers. Okay. And are there any challenges to sharing information? Because I know when I started working in cybersecurity, one of the things I really quickly realized is that everyone does things a little bit differently. Everybody has different names for everything, which means that when you read another vendor's research, it can sometimes take a lot of work to figure out if their information matches up with what you're seeing. No, that that's exactly right. I think, you know, aside from the things we've mentioned in terms of 
non-disclosure agreements with vic- with uh, victims or with governments and that kind of stuff. Uh, you just get into the mechanics of sometimes having a difficult time talking in the same language, right? Um, so we encourage as much uh, as many common frameworks as possible. So, for example, we use the sticks language to uh, share information. That's how we build our uh, intelligence packages, our bundles when they're shared is through sticks. Uh, we use that to share observables, uh, context around those observables, which is obviously very important. We we want to avoid just sharing an IP address, for example. We want to share an IP address with the name of the malware that it's associated with, with any targeted industries or countries that it's associated with, um, and then also with as many actor TTPs as possible, right? The tactics, techniques, and procedures that they use. So for that, we also encourage the use of uh, things like the MITRE attack framework. So we, we want to use as many common languages as possible to get us to be able to speak the, the, a common language like you're talking about. I think it's going to be really difficult to get us to talk about intrusion sets the same way, right? There's lots of reasons why uh, folks use different names for intrusion sets and that kind of thing, but we want to take as many of the, the barriers out of information sharing as possible. Yeah, I mean, and I, th- I think it's working as well. Um, certainly in the last year or so, I've seen more and more people using sticks and the MITRE framework uh, to, to share information and, and the awareness of it, it seems to really have um, improved a lot recently. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, am I right in saying that the um, pace of collaboration has picked up recently? I mean, I first encountered the CTA, I think, in 2017 when I was involved in putting together a playbook on APT10. But in the past year in particular, I've noticed that there's an awful lot more information going back and forth between uh, members. And just awareness of the CTA itself in, in Somatic has really grown in that time. Yeah, that, that's really good to hear. I mean, I think that from our perspective on the CTA staff, you know, we, we spent a lot of 2017, for example, proving that our members could actually do that automated information sharing, uh, proving the utility of the information sharing between cybersecurity companies and building and, and you know, working with them to build in place ways to automate protections based on that information sharing. Um, and so in 2018, we actually spent a lot more time and focus on getting our members to be more comfortable with each other and understanding how collaboration can work between human to human sharing. Um, so as a part of that, we've really worked hard to build a trust community of some of the best threat intelligence analysts in the world. Um, and then we actually, in last year in May, we leveraged that trust to develop a program for early sharing of blogs and analysis, starting with the VPN filter incident. So I, I know you're familiar with this incident. You've talked about it on your podcast in the past. But back in May of 2018, Cisco's Talos Group uh, publicized research related to the VPN threat filter threat. Uh, it was multi-stage modular malware, infected small office and home office routers and other network edge devices. They had multiple modules that allowed for persistence, espionage, data exfiltration, and even the ability to, to brick a device and just you know, render it useless and prevent connected devices from reaching the internet. Uh, so, so Talos noted a large uptick in device infections in the Ukraine just before a holiday there and decided that it was time to do something about it. Um, because of the large spread of the infections, they decided it'd be best to work as broadly as possible to publicize their research and any mitigations. And so as a part of that, they worked with CTA and other CTA members, um, they, and they are a CTA member, they're one of our founding members, uh, to share that information with our members early. 
So Talos briefed CTA members, they shared that intelligence and analysis, they provided access to the samples, and they asked members to do their own research. So members were able to engage and ask each other questions and improve everyone's understanding of the threat before it was made public. And then, and I think this was the most crucial part, we set it up so that all members would have their necessary protections in place at the same time to coincide with Talos's public publicizing the research and the FBI's actions to take down certain parts of the infrastructure. And so this was really successful for us. We were able to leverage all this trust between our members to share sensitive information, act on it in unison, and protect our customers. And since then, what has grown out of that is that we have now developed a program for early sharing of that kind of analysis more broadly. And so since May of 2018, we've now shared 50 blogs with our members early. Um, and from semantics perspective, that included research on thrip, leaf miner, gallmaker, seed worm, uh, most recently the whitefly paper that came out. Um, and this early sharing is really helping to reduce the time between publication and protection for cybersecurity companies. So the, the common cases we hear about is it used to be the case that, for example, when Symantec would publish new research on a targeted threat, Fortinet's customers or at Palo Alto's customers would call them asking if they were protected, protected, and it would cause a scramble within that organization to try and get the samples and put the protections in place. Um, but now we've, we've circumvented that, right? We've got protections in place, we've got samples shared before things come out, and so if you're a CTA member, when those customers call, you can say, yep, we've got that. You've been protected for that for the last 24 hours. Um, and it's really been a game changer and it's providing a lot of benefits both to our members and, of course, to their customers. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing it on our end as well. I mean, I worked on um, the VPN uh, filter project. Uh, I was doing communications for that and having that information in advance was really useful in terms of like getting our protection ready. Um, and now, you know, sharing information with the CTA is just a kind of standard part of our um, research uh, publication practice. You know, it's uh, we, we send a, we send a copy every every time we've got something coming out. Um, you've you've achieved an awful lot in two years i mean as you said yourself we spent 15 years talking about this and uh, in two years we've kind of gotten to a point where a lot of people thought we may not be able to get to um what's gonna what, what's next for the cta what, what's what's the next thing that you guys are hoping to do yeah so i think you know one of the things that a lot of people have kind of dinged people for talking about information sharing is you can't just do information sharing, right? You've got to, you've got to actually leverage the information that you're sharing. You've got to do something operationally with it. And I think that's where we really want to kind of push next. So the, the early sharing that we've been doing, the automated information sharing that we've been doing has allowed us to be much more proactive in the development and distribution of protections for members, customers. Uh, when we share those non-public indicators and analysis early, CTA members provide protections all at once and multiple customer sets are protected. Um, so we are looking to spend 2019 building on that and taking more coordinated actions to degrade and disrupt adversary activity and work together better to protect our customers. And so part of that will be coordinated activity using the capabilities of our members, for example. We're going to look at how we identify some actions that we can take to make it harder for bad guys to threaten our customers. And hopefully we can work to take those actions together. And when we take those actions together, we start to really make things difficult for, for the adversaries. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, we want them to work as hard as the defenders do. It's, it's the only fair thing, right? 
Um, we'll also be identifying future events that we know will be targets and start thinking about the intelligence and the actions required to protect them in advance. So, for example, what do we need to do now to plan and prepare for the 2020 U.S. elections or the elections in other countries? Uh, what about the 2020 Summer Olympics or maybe the 2020 U.S. Census? So we know these things are coming. We know that malicious cyber actors will try and take advantage of them in some way. So what can we do now to start planning for that and be in a better place to protect those and disrupt the adversary actions down the road? Okay, that sounds really interesting. Um, now, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, how, uh, Where did you work before you came to the CTA and, and how did you end up uh, at the CTA? Sure. So um, before CTA, I was at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, uh, what was then called the Natural or National Protection and Programs Director, but is now the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. It's a much better name than when I was there. Um, I spent five years doing cybersecurity strategy, policy, and operational planning there. Spent about two of those years in the INCIC, which is the ops center that houses the U.S. and ICS CERT. Uh, working with the analysts and the incident responders there and helping to translate their activities up to policymakers and leadership and translating policymakers' needs and goals down to the actual people that do the work. Um, so as a part of that, I participated in lots of interagency working groups around nation-state threats, campaign activity, uh, working with partners across the intelligence community, law enforcement, and defense. Um, I was actually also the lead for DHS's 2016 election efforts, uh, working with state and local election officials to uh, highlight the Russian threat to the election infrastructure, so the voter registration system and the other parts of the infrastructure that are connected to the Internet, uh, providing them with to build relationships with election officials, provide whatever assistance we could in the summer and fall of 2016, like threat indicators and different kinds of scanning services, protection services. Um, also worked a lot with U.S. government and private sector partners on incident response policy. And uh, my team at DHS developed the National Cyber Incident Response Plan. Um, so I, I had some other government roles before that, working cyber issues with DOD, with the Navy, um, and others sort of operational research. But um, I decided to make the move to the Cyber Threat Alliance in uh, 2018. Uh, I was you know, looking for some other opportunities, thinking about getting into the private sector, and one of the nice things about the Cyber Threat Alliance is it uh, still provides kind of a, a larger global view on uh, on what we can do and how we can work together. Uh, so I really wanted to kind of test some of these these uh, things that I learned in DHS uh, with private sector cybersecurity companies. Uh, so so far it's been a really great job, lots of really great opportunities, and uh, it's it's been really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like your um, experience kind of dovetails nicely into the CTA. I mean, you've got a lot of experience there working on interagency teams, and I'm sure that uh, is is valuable when it comes to um, talking to so many different vendors. Absolutely. I, I always used to think that it would be great to get out of uh, the world of government bureaucracy, and then I jumped in and discovered all this private sector bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're very appreciative of your skills. Um, now, we talk a lot about on the podcast about uh, new and emerging cyber threats. And uh, you probably you have a different perspective to us. You probably have a bigger perspective to us. What do you think is the most um, interesting or worrying cybersecurity challenging the, uh, challenge that's uh, emerging? I mean, it's funny. I actually usually lean on our members to tell me what I need to care about. <laughs> but um 
but in general, I mean, and a lot of this comes as an outgrowth of my work in DHS, but I continue to be worried about organizations that just aren't taking the basic actions that they need to take. Um, things like understanding their risk profiles, shoring up their defenses by knowing what devices are on their networks, working to monitor those devices, patching them their vulnerabilities, moving away from admin credentials, segmenting networks, multi-factor authentication, training their employees to look for phishing attacks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when I hear people ask, how can organizations like mine find the resources to you know, fight a nation state like the Russians or Chinese? I, I usually want to answer like, well, just patch that vulnerability from 2015 and don't click on that link to reset your Gmail password. Um, oh, and also make sure you're using security products from a CTA member. Um, so I think there's, there's, you know, we know that bad guys will always take the easiest actions they need to first to, to break into a network. So we need to focus on improving defenses to make that more difficult for them. That's one of the reasons that I really like the approach that the Cyber Threat Alliance is taking because it helps to, uh, it, it really is in place to help customers, the, the organizations you're protecting, uh, be able to do their defense better. Um, but in terms of threats, you know, I, I tend to focus a lot on the targeted threats from nation states. Um, of course, I'm worried about things like intellectual property theft and espionage and information operations, uh, that kind of stuff. But, but I generally find myself most concerned with destructive attacks, especially those targeting physical processes. Um, and so, for example, uh, Dragos, the industrial control systems cybersecurity company, uh, recently joined CTA to help us increase our visibility into that ICS and OT space, which which we is just great. We really, you know, we really look forward to working with them more. Um, but as an example of how how do we leverage that in the future, I'd really like to think about focusing on um, ensuring that things like the water and the wastewater sector is more secure. So we focus a lot on energy production and transport of energy, and you know, rightly so. But the water sector is woefully underserved from a cybersecurity resource standpoint, right? They're the classic example of a critical infrastructure sector. It doesn't have a profit margin to spend on cybersecurity. And the IT person is usually also the person that cuts the grass and mops the floors, right? And, and so I don't know about you, but I enjoy my drinking water. I'd rather not see someone mess that up because they have a Windows XP machine connected to the internet and also connected to the control systems that run water purification. Uh, so at the end of the day, that's kind of where I would like to see a lot of our, our work focus, what, what worries me. Um, but, you know, I think we're in a very good place with CTA to handle all of these kinds of threats. Okay, that's that's really interesting. And it, it kind of, um, it chimes with, with some of the things we've been seeing here, where we've seen a, a growing number of groups who have destructive malware or are attacking machines that are, I suppose operational that you know if they if they wanted to they could um, cause serious disruption at, at the organisation they're attacking. Um, fortunately, only a minority of groups seem to kind of go 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 that step into dis destructive um, uh, attacks. But it is kind of worrying to see so much of it out there and that this that that that, that people have that power to exercise if if they so choose to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. It's it's in the minority. The destructive attacks are in the minority, thankfully. Mm. Um, I'd like to see them stay that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, listen, thanks a million for coming on to the podcast, Neil. Uh, we really appreciate it. And hopefully it won't be the last time we have you on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm happy to join anytime. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and we really appreciate it. 
Okay, that's about all we have time for this week. If you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of the action. You can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel or Medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel. If you'd like to read our latest research, check out our blog, which can be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We'll be back again next week when we'll be discussing what's new in the world of cybersecurity. Until then, thank you and goodbye.